It is midday here on a Friday, the eve of the eve. Of the eve. Of the eve right. of Christmas Eve. I don't know. I don't. I think we did too many there because I said Christmas Eve again. It's like a great, great, great grandfather. At what so, point in time do we matter. need a new word for the many greats? Yeah. There you go. Well, we have, uh, luckily, we have Susan Littlefield here because the, the rest of us are all bench players. So we're just coming off the bench. <laughs> so Susan's here to get things going. So, yep, yep, yep. So... Susan, I know that you desperately want uh, snow for Christmas. We've discussed this. We'll have Paul in later, and he can tell us if there's any good chances. I even went to the point of asking Santa for snow. There's a picture of it on my Facebook page. I want snow for Christmas. The Minnesotan in me wants snow. We're used to snow at this time of year. I know, and I'm really having a hard time with it. You betcha. Yeah, sure. you got to get it right. you got to get that tone right. Okay, very good. What what do we got going on regardless of snow? Well, we're not talking Lefts and Ludafisk this time. We're talking Stoney Cooper. He's going to be sitting in for Al Dutcher, so hopefully Stoney has some snow news for me at 1219. Then at 1245, this is a cool story. Doug Kuzer is talking about a journey of a tractor that cleared the land on the very last homestead in Alaska and how it ended up back in Nebraska. I saw that story. Yeah, the tractor was found on a homestead, lifted out of the farm via a helicopter and flown to Seattle, then trucked to Nebraska. So we'll have more information on that. And then there's a new CEO for the Beef Checkoff, Scott Stewart. That'll be up at 117. He'll tell us some of his thoughts and wishes for the Beef Checkoff heading into 2018. All right. So lots of stuff to talk. I yeah. love that tractor story. That is very cool. Isn't that the that. coolest thing? Yeah, it really is. So you, yeah. you just, yeah, good stuff. Thank you, Susan. Thank you. I heard we got a little college football maybe going on. There's a lot of college football going on right, right? now because Brandon it's, you know, t- tis the season for being merry, yes. eating lots of food, and of mm-hmm. course watching lots of football. So we're going to talk K-State football. They get to go to a bowl game, even though they are 7-5. and five, They play UCLA in the Cactus Bowl. The Bruins are 6-6. Six and six. Notre Dame, along with the temperatures here in Nebraska, Notre Dame players keep falling by the wayside. <laughs> in fact, the, the Irish now have suspended a third player, so they're mm. going to be down three starters in the Citrus Bowl against number 16 LSU. And if you like rushing offenses in college football, you're going to love the Armed Forces Bowl. The Army team, they're 9-3. and three. They lead the nation in rushing, but they're also dead last in passing. They're going to go up against the nation's leading rusher in San Diego State. So if you like rushing offenses, you're going to love the the Armed Forces Bowl. Always do. Thank you very much, Brandon. Dave, uh, we watched Cather Pound go down today, by the way. Both of us UNL alums. You get a chance, go to our KRVN Facebook page. I believe on our website, too, we have the uh, video of the implosion of those two residence halls there. Crazy good stuff. And you'll probably talk about business, too. Well, well, yes. I uh, <laughs> um, want to mention uh, President Donald Trump has delivered his Christmas gift to you. He has uh, signed into law that $1.5 trillion tax overhaul that's offering big cuts for business, smaller ones for middle class. And uh, so that is signed into law this morning. Also, he signed a temporary spending bill to keep the government running for now. Um, and so, as you know, by midnight tonight, uh, the government is going to run out of right. the authorization to spend that money. So. so there you go. Yeah, that's that is that's interesting stuff. We'll see how that works. But uh, yeah, it was it is. If you haven't seen the video of Catherine Pound going down, it was amazing. It just it real just went, quick. It real went quick. down fast. Yeah. So after years and years of people allegedly educating themselves in there they got to yeah it's all a red it's all an educational experience scott (laughs) and some of it has to do with biology and chemistry (laughs) more of midday coming up 
and good morning. As we take a look to what's happening in the market trade, we're being joined by Mike Zuzel of Global Commodity Analytics. And we were just joking on the air, Mike, all I want for Christmas is snow. And you were willing to check the models for me to see if we're going to get snow. I tell you, Susan, the updated American model looks a lot like the European, and this is just fresh off the press. I think Lexington's due for two to four inches by late Christmas Day. We'll take snow. What about the rest of the state of Nebraska? Is it going to be kind of dry, or is it all just going to fall here? It looks like it's a pretty narrow band. I think that's why a lot of the precip forecasters out there have kind of switched their gears and said it's not going to happen because there's a pretty narrow band across uh, Nebraska. It really builds for the whole state of Iowa and then on east. Oh, darn it. I'll try to lasso it and take it east with me when I head back later today. This really does have a lot to do with the markets, though, as well, because we've had so many dry areas. We've got cattle who don't have enough hair on them for this first official weather moving in. So markets looking at the weather issue as well? Yeah, and I think you saw this in the cattle on feed report that was just released. It was a real whopper from a standpoint of the feeders coming in with massive placements, almost 2.1 million head. You and I talked about this on Final Bell yesterday, 114% on placements numbers. And, uh, you know, this is probably going to continue to pressure the feeder fat spread. It's down to about $22 between feeders lead month uh, minus the lead month fats. This thing could probably wind down even farther and get closer to maybe even 12 or $15, closer to where we were maybe six or eight months ago. So the fat cattle, though, they had a good report, especially from a standpoint of cold storage, four percent less beef than last month and we had a very strong marketing's number too uh we also talked about that on final bell this meat is really being consumed and that's a that's a big piece of good news our marketing's of 1.84 million head on this report today was the highest ever for the month of november in usda's record keeping going all the way back to 1996 well, we had two reports come out as well besides this cattle on feed. We had the quarterly hogs and pigs report as of well. didn't look like a big jump, up about 2%. Yeah, I think the hogs and pigs report was came in as advertised. I think it does, though, between the on feed, the placements, and the hogs and pigs as far as kept for breeding numbers being a little bit toppy in supply numbers. We've got major uh, supply building still and inventories going up in both cattle and hogs heading into 2018, maybe even more than what USDA was expecting uh, two or three months ago, the last time they really looked at their long-term expectations. So I think it's still a hedger's market at this point. It's a buyer's market at this point, especially if you're looking at feeder cattle. I don't think you have to get in any rush to buy feeders at this stage of the game. Grain side of the trade, we are seeing some green for both corn beans today. What are your thoughts? Well, I don't think they're going to go anywhere. I think they're picking up a little bit of support from the weather. Um, the, the American model is drier and it's pushing a lot of the delta rains farther off towards Georgia and Florida, matching up with the European model. But being up a penny wouldn't surprise me on that news. It's really up to the wheat. We came in with fresh models that show even a drier bias for the hard red wheat belt, but we continue to see the hard red wheat just play along with the soft red. So unless we'd see a real change in that hard red wheat and the soft red wheat, I wonder if we could make new highs today in the corn and beans. Otherwise, just go home where we're at during the Christmas holiday. we got less than a half hour left till the trade shuts down till after Christmas. Going to be kind of quiet this last 20 minutes or so? I think it could be a little bit more volatile just because of those livestock reports because the funds do play the feeder corn and the haul corn spread quite a bit. So watch the corn especially. All right, sounds good. Merry Christmas, Mike. You too, Susan. Merry Christmas to you and all the great listeners out there. Mike Zuzalo joining us with Global Commodity Analytics. And that is a look at what we're seeing on the market trade.
You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. We asked kids what it took to be a dad. This is what they had to say. A father is always present. I mean, what what real father figure can you have if they're not there? In order to be a good dad, you need to love love your son. You need to put gas in your car so you don't break nowhere. And you need to make some breakfast. Yep. I mean, just to maybe um, play like a board game with me or to just stay home and play um, some video games with me. Just to do like that one little thing is what I really look forward to. I'm not asking him to be a perfect dad, but he should try. He's just a constant force in my life. There's no other type of love like a dad's love because it's not comparable to anything else. Take time to be a dad today. Call 877. With this Market Minute, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. March corn's up a penny, 352 and a quarter. May, 360 and a half, up one. Soybeans January are up one at 949 and three quarters, while the March contract, 960 and a quarter. Market's up one and a quarter. Kansas City, March, one and three quarters to the lower. 422 and a half. May, 436, down one and a quarter. Chicago's March drops two to 425. May, 437 and three quarters, down one and a quarter. Minneapolis, March, 613 and a half, down three and a quarter. May, 621 and three quarters, down three and a half. Live cattle for December's up a dime, 119.72. February's down 75, 118.92. January feeder cattle down 77 at 142.15. March 139.27, down 112. February lean hogs are up 117.69.70. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Our ag weather update brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation. That's coming up next. Time for ag weather as Paul Perkins comes in here and you were just taking a look at some of the low temperatures. Wow. Yeah, 13 below this morning. (laughs) Excuse me, in Alliance. And they had wind chills down around 22 below for a while this morning. And the western Nebraska panel, the coldest of that high pressure right overhead as it cleared out the skies last night. That is. that. Net, did you see anything on snowfall? I mean, was it pretty much just a skiff kind of all yeah, over? Yeah, just a Not- skiff at best. And, and we're going to get rid of that today with mm-hmm. the sunshine and the temperatures getting into the 30s. And uh, But more is on the way. So yeah, that's hopes that if you like those white Christmas kind of things. Chance. I like a white Christmas, but I just don't like to scoop it. You hired the neighbor kid. He <laughs> there, you there you go. Low and mid twenties right now for the most part across the area for our temperatures. We do have some low thirties on it. Uh, northeast Colorado and northwest Kansas. High pressure overhead today, giving us the sunshine, but those temperatures remaining colder than normal. Some cloud cover will increase tonight as low pressure approaches from the Rockies. We're expecting that low pressure to track from the northwest to bring us a likely chance of snow for tomorrow. And since the system won't be coming out of the desert southwest, where we usually get our most snow, probably looking at just uh, small amounts of snow since there won't be a whole lot of moisture to work with on this system. Most of the accumulated snow expected to begin tomorrow afternoon across Nebraska, then slide into Kansas tomorrow evening. Most of Nebraska looking at the potential of about one to two inches of snow, maybe upwards of three inches in some areas. Otherwise, the dusting to two inches is possible right near the Kansas border. 
Christmas Eve looks to be dry and cold, but the next little storm slides in for Christmas Day and has some real cold air with it also and some snow. The current forecast looks to be in Nebraska for snow, uh, but northern Kansas could catch some of that. Some chances, uh, snow chances are likely from the Tri-Cities to the north. The snow total is likely to range from a dusting to two inches with the Christmas Day <coughs> excuse me, the storm. Now, cold air will stick around for the midweek. Our next storm system expected Wednesday night into Thursday. And more impact details on those snow totals with that system will be known. Right now, the forecast model is not in too much of agreement. In our long term, temperatures should remain colder than normal in Nebraska and Kansas Wednesday through the first four days of January. Going to stay cold for a while here. Our precipitation forecast also points to an active pattern of above normal precipitation in Nebraska and Kansas Wednesday through the 4th. Weather factors for the market include favorable conditions for crops in Brazil, varying amounts of rain in Argentina, and cold for the U.S. Frigid weather will affect the northern plains on into the northeast the next several days. The next five days, varying amounts of moisture expanded across the northern half of the U.S. into the southeast U.S. The heaviest rain will fall from northeast Texas into the central Appalachians, Pre-holiday snow will fall from the Great Lakes into New England. The cold weather will ease the wheat into dormancy in the southern plains. The chance of meaningful moisture, though, remains low for the driest areas of the western wheat belt over the next 10 days. Eastern Midwest wheat areas expect additional heavy rain through tomorrow that will recharge the soil moisture. Very cold weather will stress the livestock in the north-central U.S., but not overly concerned with that since significant precipitation is not expected. In Argentina, developing crops in northeast Buenos Aires and Santa Fe will benefit from periodic thunder showers. Some areas near Cordoba, though, won't miss out on that rain. Southwest growing areas of Argentina are drying out but have better soil moisture at this point. There are favorable conditions in northern Brazil for soybeans as the rainy season continues. Southern Brazil, they will see scattered rain for favorable conditions this next week to 10 days. In Rio Grande do Sul, though, it's more variable on the rain pattern with the trend towards warmer temperatures. No major concerns right now on that, but it does need to be watched. Okay, so a lot going on. I just watched. It looks like northeastern United States could see some snow. But 107 million people are expected to travel, so yeah. we just assume the weather would be good for them to do yeah, that. Yeah, it looks like if you're doing some traveling, Christmas Eve day looks to be pretty good. And, you know, luckily it's just a minor skiff of snow with these systems moving through. Uh, just enough to give us a white Christmas, but not too much to give us any travel problems either. Well, if people are wondering and wherever they're going, wondering what the current conditions are, where's a good place for them to check? You can always go to krvn.com. All right, thanks, Paul. Good afternoon. As we take a look at today's market trade, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Of course, markets have closed out for the day. They'll be back open the day after Christmas, though we're into the final settlements at this point. We look at the trade, finding March corn up three quarters, currently at 352. Maize up a penny, 360 and a half. Soybeans for January, 949 and a half, up three quarters. March is up one and a quarter, 960 and a quarter. May, 971 and a quarter, up three quarters, with November's bid at 9 973 up one and a half. Kansas City March currently down two at 422 and a quarter. May down one and a half, 435 and three quarters. Chicago's March two and a quarter lower, 424 and three quarters. May 437 and a half, down one and a half. Minneapolis March 611 and a half. That market's down five and a half. May 620, down five and a quarter. To the livestock side where the cattle futures tumbled lower due to the cattle on feed report, except for the nearby December. It's 
that's up 20 at 119.82. February's down 110, 118.57. The bids for April are sitting down 130 at 119.27. January feeders down 137, 141.55. March 138.55, down 185. A lean hog market for February is up 150. Now it's up 140 at 69.97. April 170 plus 74.77. And May up 145 at 79.75. Of course, markets did close at 12.05 today, but they do give them till 12.15 to get their final settlements in. Markets, again, just a reminder, will be closed on Monday. In observance of the Christmas holiday, will reopen in the morning on Tuesday. That's a look at your market trade. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. When you think of Palmer Amaranth, Water Hemp, Ragweed, and Mare's Tail, doesn't it just make you want to give them the pounding they deserve? Now you can with Diflex Duo Herbicide. It's the post-emergence corn herbicide with two proven sites of action. So you get powerful control of the toughest weeds, built-in resistance management, and excellent crop safety. So don't just hit weeds. Pound them like never before with Diflex Duo. Learn more at DiflexDuo.us. Always read and follow label instructions. In today's fast-paced world of agriculture, producers need accurate market information they can trust. Our program, The Final Bell, gives you the chance to ask the experts your marketing questions. I'm Susan Littlefield with the Rural Radio Network. Join us for our Final Bell podcast each trading day as we dig deeper into the factors shaping the day's market activity. Tweet your questions to RRN Markets and catch the Final Bell podcast updating each weekday afternoon at RuralRadio.com. You can also search Rural Radio on iTunes and tune in. numbers coming out as a surprise just a little bit ago. I'm Shaley Peters with a midday check of your ag news on the Rural Radio Network. Jerry Stoll, Country Futures, Frankfort, Kansas has the numbers for us. Well, we had a few surprises here. The cattle on feed report, uh, we uh, had some bearish numbers come out and the market reacted negative to it initially here and we're still are, uh, going through those numbers. Total cattle on feed uh, 108% of a year ago against trade expectations of 106.6. The placement number was huge at 114%, and that was 8% above uh, trade guesses. And that's the largest placement figure set in 2007. So a big number placed on feed, and the marketing number come in at 103 against trade expectations at 103. So a uh, big surprise on the total on feed, and especially that big placement number. Another ag news, Congress closed out the year by temporarily funding the government for another month, but failing to complete a robust disaster aid package. The House and Senate on Thursday passed a continuing resolution funding the government through January 19th, but the Senate did not take up the $81 billion disaster bill that would provide assistance to people affected by hurricanes and wildfires and aid to cotton and dairy producers. The Senate vote to keep the government funding was 66 to 32 Senate Appropriations Committee ranking. Member Patrick Leahy, a Democrat from Vermont, said he voted for the bill because a government shutdown helps no one. Earlier, the House had passed the bill by a vote of 231 to 188. The vote clears the way for President Donald Trump to sign the bill before the current continuing resolution expires at midnight Friday. The CR includes a provision exempting the tax bill passed earlier this week for statutory pay-as-you-go rules that would have required cuts to farm program spending in 2018. 
That means Trump can also sign the tax bill as early as Friday rather than wait until January. The disaster bill, however, has funding language in it for cotton and dairy producers that, once passed, will also build a baseline for those provisions in the upcoming Farm Bill debate. And the details of a settlement in the Viptera corn lawsuit likely will not be completed by year's end as both sides and in the three-year-long legal case continue to finalize the agreement. According to court documents filed in the U.S. District Court for the District of Kansas and Kansas City, on Wednesday, the court extended an ex- existing stay on a number of lawsuits filed against Syngenta in a number of states to allow the settlement work to be completed. In September, Syngenta announced a settlement with farmers who sued the company following the release of AgriSure Viptera and AgriSure Duracade MIR-162 corn traits. Details of the settlement were not released, but the settlement reportedly was worth about $1.5 billion. The settlement, which is subject to court approval, would create a settlement fund for the submission of claims by eligible claimants who contracted to price corn or corn byproducts after September 15, 2013. On Wednesday, the court announced a scheduled settlement hearing for January 25, 2018 as part of a court order issued this week. All deadlines related to a stay in court proceedings were vacated. And an excellent growing season resulted in record yields and good quality for the 2017 corn crop, according to the U.S. Grain Council's latest corn quality report released this week globally. The 2017-2018 Corn Harvest Quality Report is the seventh in the Council's annual corn quality survey. The report revealed that the majority of the 2017 corn crop conditions were rated as good to excellent during the growing season, leading to strong plant health, good kernel size, and a projected record yield of 370 million metric tons, the second largest crop on record. And that's a midday check of your ag news. A very Merry Christmas to you and yours. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Shaylee Peters. Shaylee Peters back with you on the Rural Radio Network. And it's time this week again for a check of our forecast headed into the Christmas holiday and towards New Year's as well. In for Al Dutcher this week, we've got Stoney Cooper. He is the Mesonet or Weather Network Manager for Nebraska. And Stoney, we get to talk to you from time to time. You've got a big one, no pressure, though, here this week as we look towards Christmas and our New Year's. What exactly can we expect? Are we looking at a white Christmas or not? What's travel going to be like? Well, hello, Shaylee. It's great to talk to you again. I'm always looking forward to when Al leaves town. Yep, it looks like winter has finally arrived. As we know from overnight, the cold weather has finally penetrated most of Nebraska and into northern Kansas for this morning, and we're setting ourselves up for a potential white Christmas. Looking at the week ahead, we see that this cold air intrusion is just laying the groundwork for an extended stay for old man winter. For Saturday, temperatures will range from the 20s across most of Nebraska, southwestern Iowa, to the low 40s in southern Kansas. Be mindful of outdoor work in northern Nebraska and southern South Dakota on Saturday. Good chances overnight into Sunday across the northern half of the listing area. Rains across most of the high plains with teens in Kansas. Sunday will be a little warmer and sunny for most of the plains. Highs ranging from near freezing in western Kansas to below freezing across the Nebraska-South Dakota border and to just above freezing in southern Kansas. Now for where everybody's concerned about. Christmas will start around 5 degrees along the Nebraska-South Dakota border, but most places will be in the team. Be mindful of road conditions on Monday, as the pavement may be clear in the morning, but snow is forecasted to arrive around mid-morning onwards across much of Nebraska into Iowa. 
Highs will range from the teens in southern South Dakota to near 42 in Wichita, Kansas. Snow should end mid-evening, though, and Tuesday morning we'll see single digits from western Nebraska to teens east and south. Tuesday will be partly sunny or partly cloudy. Take your pick. Highs struggling to get to the upper teens north around Valentine and flirting with freezing in south Kansas. Wednesday should be similar to Tuesday before the next system comes in on Thursday. Thursday in the single digits north to the kissing low 20s in south Kansas. Cloudy for the day with most chances of precipitation from I-80 south with snow in all places except very southern Kansas where it will start as rain and turn to snow. Highs in the teens by Mitchell, South Dakota and mid-30s southern Kansas. Precipitation will end overnight and cold will settle deep into the plains on Friday with single digits as far south as Salina. Travel points of concern for this week. Nebraskans should be mindful of icy roads and snow for Saturday, Christmas Day, and Thursday. Kansas folks, overnight into Sunday and again on Thursday. South Dakota should already be used to mostly icy travel, but more will pile up on Saturday and Christmas Day. And in Iowa, mostly Saturday overnight into Sunday, Christmas Day, and Thursday. For outside work and cattle operations, next week we'll have periods of dangerous wind chills. Even this morning, we saw dangerous cattle comfort index readings below minus 10 in eastern Nebraska's panhandle, and it'll be worse on Wednesday and Friday. Okay, thanks so much. Stoney Cooper, Mesonet or Weather Network Manager for Nebraska with this week's weekly weather forecast as we see what exactly we have on the radar headed into Christmas and New Year's. Looks like it could be a chilly one, folks, and a white Christmas maybe after all. For more, you can always visit RuralRadio.com. I'm Shaley Peters, and you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Merry Christmas, Scott. Both the Husker men's and women's basketball teams are in action today. The women tip off in little more than a half an hour as they host Washington State, and the men host Delaware State this evening at 7.30, and of course, both games are at the Pinnacle Bank Arena. The Kansas State football team comes into their Cactus Bowl matchup with UCLA on December 26, sporting a 7-5 record that includes some last-game drama and a top-10 road victory. But the team has had just over a month off, and head coach Bill Snyder talks about the team his focus has shown in practice in recent weeks. I thought, uh, you know, our practices have been uh, good. We haven't practiced every day because we have final exams, etc. And I also wanted to make sure that they did get some, you know, some break time. So, you know, we've practiced, you know, in, in blocks of two days or three days. And so they've stayed, I think, uh, reasonably fresh. I think the, the spirit, you know, has been positive. I think, uh, you know, I was pleased with, uh, with her effort. The Wildcats are making their fourth appearance in the Cactus Bowl, which marks the 21st bowl game in K-State football history and the 19th under Coach Snyder. The Bruins come into the bowl game at 6-6. Six and six. And the number 14-ranked Notre Dame football team has suspended a third player for their Citrus Bowl matchup against number 16, LSU. Junior tight end Elise Mack will miss the January 1 game against the 9-3 Tigers because of what Irish head coach Brian Kelly calls an internal team matter. He did not disclose details but said the punishment is just limited to the game in Orlando, Florida. Already indefinitely suspended for the 9-3 Fighting Irish are sophomore wide receiver Kevin Stefferson and freshman running back C.J. Holmes who were both arrested on shoplifting charges last week in a mall in nearby Meshaqua. 
And if you like high-octane rushing offenses in college football, then you'll love tomorrow's Armed Forces Bowl. There, two of college football's most dominant rushing attacks will clash when San Diego State faces Army, even though the two offenses are dramatically different. The pro-style offense used by the 10-2 San Diego State team is led by the top rusher in all of bowl subdivision football in senior Rashad Penny, a consensus All-American. Penny finished fifth in the Heisman Trophy voting and has run for more than 2,000 yards this year. Army is 9-3, and three and they lead the nation in all of rushing at more than 368 yards per game, but they're dead last in passing, averaging less than 30 yards per game. They use a triple offense formation and chug methodically down the field. They're led by senior quarterback Ahmad Bradshaw, who has more than 1,500 yards rushing, and he ranks fifth nationally. That's a look at sports. Stay tuned. More of Midday is just ahead. Merry Christmas, everybody. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. A tractor that was used to clear hundreds of tree stumps on the last land in America to be claimed under the Federal Homestead Act finds a new home in Nebraska. Good afternoon to you on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Bryce Dusky at Reporting. The 1945 Aulis Chalmers Model C tractor was last used 40 years ago in Alaska by the very last homesteader named Ken Deerdorf. The tractor is far from rare. In fact, about 84,000 of these were manufactured at the company's Wisconsin plant. But this specific tractor, well, it has a special story. It was lifted from the homestead by a helicopter, flown to Seattle, trucked to Beatrice, Nebraska, preserved by UNL students in Lincoln, and then permanently placed back at the National Homestead Museum in Beatrice. Doug Couser, a club advisor and president of the Friends of the Larson Tractor Test Museum, tells us more about this journey. The Lester Larson Museum was contacted by the Homestead Monument guys about a tractor that was in Alaska that would have been approximately 250 miles west of Anchorage. And they wanted to helicopter lift this tractor out of Alaska, bring it back, and then put it on display at the monument in Beatrice. So after a few meetings, they had set up plans to fly out the end of June, and then we would uh, take little flat-bottom aluminum boats 15 miles up the river and then hike into the woods where the tractor was. Tell us more about the tractor. What kind of tractor was it, and what kind of condition was it as well? It was an Alice Chalmers C, and they used it to clear the ground and farm uh, vegetables. Uh, they, they really didn't do any you know, large crops or anything. It was it was small crop. And they had to maintain a certain amount of ground that was clear and farm in order to get the homestead exemption. So they, he worked it for quite a few years. He had a little international dozer that was back in the trees. We found that when we were there. So anybody wants to rescue something else, there is a dozer there. <laughs> Talk about uh, the process of going back in there chainsaws, all sorts of things to uh, um, get in there, and then you helicopter it out. Talk about that process. Yeah, we hiked in uh, with saws and lever jacks, and the tractor was in the ground about a foot and a half, so we jacked it up. The trees we cut down to make room for the helicopter to drop in was uh, then placed underneath the wheels, and surprisingly enough, it all rolled out of there. So we rolled it into the clearing, and the helicopter guys brought in a net. So we rolled it into the net, brought the clasp up. Uh, we found a plow and a disc 15 minutes before the helicopter was due there. 
and we had to cut down a tree real quick, hike down through the woods, and get it down onto the bank. So after they picked the tractor up in the net, they swung it around, went down, picked up the disc and, and the uh, plow. So off into the horizon it went with a disc and a plow hanging below the tractor in the net. So it was all pretty good. It went, it flew back to their base. They crated it up. It went on a ship, and it it went to Seattle, and at Seattle it went truck truck freight to Beatrice. Beatrice hauled it to the museum up at the university here and then I hauled it back when we were done with it. Talk about the importance of uh, Nebraska in terms of the Homestead National Monument and as well as the the Lester Larson Tracting Museum here at the university. The Homestead National Monument is on the very first ground that was given and this tractor was on the very last ground that was given so it it plays a key role in that Uh, the tractor restoration club trc uh, we do different grades of restoration where if it were a museum piece and it was never going to run or never have oil in it again those are pretty easy the ones that take more time are the ones that you're going to pull down and rebuild and actually run drive which we pull six or eight of them out of the larson museum and run through the homecoming parade so it, it gets the, the younger generation hooked in on old equipment, and, and it's a good thing. It's a really good thing. I talk about, so you get this tractor, and you're just preserving it for a period of time, essentially, is what the, the task was. So talk about how you did that as well as what the students did with this project. We had uh, Al Levitz out of West Virginia come in. He is a conservation preservation guy that had been with the government for 30 years, and his expertise was preservation. So what we did was we took essentially paint thinner and, and just dabbed it on the finish. We didn't want to rub the finish off, you know, and you had to be careful with that. But we wanted to kill the mold that was growing because it hadn't seen daylight for quite some time. But w- once we got it out of that environment and put it into the shop at the museum, it didn't take long for that to die out. So it was just a matter of being careful with, with not rubbing the paint off. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's rusty. Uh, it's what they look like here. You know, if you don't put any kind of finish on them, it's a 75-year-old tractor. So um, it fits well. We built roll-around stands with it. We had a couple of the kids that were in the engineering department. And, you know, I said, we need to make stands for this thing so you can roll it around. Uh, it had three flats. And you couldn't really dismount a tire without destroying a tire. So let's make stands and make it look like the tires are full. So they were after that pretty hard, and they made some really good stands. And we made them out of another old Alice Chalmers tractor frame, so it looks exactly like Alice Chalmers. So it, it works out really well. What did it mean for you and the folks that you work with to uh, be able to do a project like this? It was different. You know, it was a different direction than we normally go. So everybody was really on board with it. It was unique, you know, once-in-a-lifetime thing where it, it, it's something we'll talk about for a long time. That's been my conversation with Doug Couser. He's a club advisor, and he's also the president of the Friends of the Larson Tractor Test Museum here in Lincoln, Nebraska. From the Nebraska Soybean Board News Desk, brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff, I'm Bryce Duskett on the Rural Radio Network.
Good afternoon. As we take a look at the market trade, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Well, you guessed it, not much happening in the grain markets on a Friday before Christmas as corn and soybeans gained roughly a cent and Chicago wheat was down a couple, all on extremely light volume. The most exciting news coming out of the USDA is Ag Secretary Sonny Perdue issued the required permits for Santa's reindeer to enter and exit the U.S. before dawn on Christmas Day. You will see an update and get to look at the paperwork that APHIS and all the veterinarians used on our website coming up here in just two hours at rollradio.com. Looking at the numbers, March corn does settle out three quarters to the plus at 352, May 360 and a half, that market up one. January soybeans at 949 and a half, up three quarters and March up one and a quarter, 960 and a quarter. Into the wheat market, Kansas City down two on the day at 422 and a quarter, May 435 and three quarters. Down one and a half. Chicago's March, 424 and three quarters, up two and a quarter. May up one and a half, 437 and a half. Minneapolis, March, five and a quarter, lower, 611 and three quarters. May down five and a quarter to 620. Increased placements and total Catalan feed numbers on this morning's report has brought additional strong pressure back into the market complex. That was leaving a mark under pressure through the holiday weekend. December live cattle finishes up 21, 1982. February down 110, 118.57. January feeders down 137, 141.55. March 138.55, down 185. February lean hog 69.97, up 140. And April's up 170 at 74.77. That's a look at the market trade. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. The following message is brought to you by Producers Livestock, serving customers for over 80 years with all your marketing, credit, and commodity needs. This land is your land. This land is our land. From Nebraska City to beyond Grand Island, this land was made for you and me. The Nebraska FFA Foundation educates Nebraska's youth by focusing on leadership, growth, and agriculture. Because we believe in the future of ag. Learn more or get involved at neffafoundation.org. Viero Center in Kearney is blowing out 2017 on Saturday, December 30th with Chris Jansen and Midland. You can buy me a boat. Chris Jansen and Midland, December 30th at Viero Center in Kearney. Tickets start at $30 plus fees at CarneyEvents.net. That ain't no reason to stop. The Tri-Cities' biggest party of the year, December 30th. Get your tickets at CarneyEvents.net. Good afternoon. As we take a look now specifically at the livestock trade, we're joined by Joe Teal of Great Plains Commodities. Merry Christmas and good afternoon, Joe. Yeah, Merry Christmas to all uh, and uh, a Happy New Year also. Uh, yeah, we'll take a look at uh, what happened today. It was uh, pretty quiet uh, up until about 11 o'clock when we got a series of reports. We had a catalog feed, a cold storage, and a uh, hogs and pigs report. And after that, things got a little bit more exciting. Uh, we had sharply lower cattle, with the exception of the December contract, which expires a, a week from today, and uh, that's going to stay pretty close to where cash is. And uh, But the rest uh, fell uh, pretty hard there uh, after the report. The report uh, taken as negative, uh, uh, higher uh, on-feed, higher, much higher placements, and lower uh, marketings. 
And uh, so that puts some pressure on the, the rest of the month. Interestingly enough, though, because of the December contract, we do close higher for the week. The feeders took it uh, pretty bad, too, uh, with uh, triple-digit losses. They finished lower on the week. Now, over in the Hogs, uh, it was pretty much just a neutral report, uh, and I think uh, a lot were expecting a bearish report, and it came right in line, and we actually rallied. Uh, Cash was higher, and... uh, uh, cutouts were just off a little bit, and cutouts were uh, higher in the cattle, but uh, didn't uh, matter after the report came out. So um, finish uh, higher for the uh, uh, hogs and higher for the cattle and lower for the uh, feeders for the week. All right. Thanks so much. Joe Teal, join us of Great Plains Commodities. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Cattlemen's Beef Promotion and Research Board. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Longtime beef industry leader Scott Stewart of Black Forest, Colorado, has been named Chief Executive Officer for the Cattlemen's Beef Promotion and Research Board. They oversee collection of the dollar per head on all cattle sold in the U.S. and the dollar per head equivalent on imported cattle, beef, and beef products. Stewart, who will be leaving his CEO post at the National Livestock Producers Association, was unanimously approved to the position December 20th. He'll begin his tenure at CBB February 1st, 2018. He was asked about his motivation and leading the checkoff program. It gives them the ability to really be involved in the, in the research and promotion of the product that they produce, even though that product is maybe two or three steps down the line from what they have on the ranch. But they're involved in it. And what I think is so important is not only involved at the level of investing, but involved in all the decision making and going through the process with the operating committee and the advisory committees to see the involvement and the, and the time that they give to this. That's amazing. And, and, uh, and that's important. And Stuart shares a more personal note about what really drives his passion for the industry. The agricultural industry, the livestock industry and, and certainly the beef industry. It's just something that is just, it's such an important part of people's lives that are in it, certainly, but even that are not in it, that to get up and do something where you're helping in some small way create and, and deliver food to people, that that's a huge motivation right there. When you get to work with producers uh, one-on-one, that realization that these guys have everything on the line and what they're doing and, and to try to be a, an assistance to them, that's just if that doesn't get you going, nothing will. Stewart says he plans to jump in, giving a glimpse of what to expect in his first few months of leadership. I want to get to know the, the leaders very well and, again, know what gets them up in the morning, what, what their motivation is, and to know what they truly expect of me. Again, I want people to know me, know that I'm fully invested in what I'm going to be doing, know that I'm approachable, know that, you know, and I mean that's from the, you know, the, the smallest investor in the checkoff to the largest that I'm accessible and and, uh, uh, want to know them and and know what's on their mind. And when it comes to knowing more about Stuart, he offered this insight. What gets me going in the morning, especially in the winter when it's dark and cold, going out and doing chores because that takes you back to what's real, and that's taking care of animals and taking care of others. During that half hour or so that I'm out, you know, feeding and cleaning and and talking to the the horses, it do some of the best thinking that I do all, all day. And he had some closing thoughts as he looks into the future challenges of the checkoff program. 
the next five years is, is not unlike the last five years. When we're limited on resources, that makes it tougher and tougher. And as we go forward, every year gets tougher. And if we could find other ways to to resource the, the checkoff that may not have been explored yet or, or have been explored at one the, the right time, I think that's something that needs to truly be looked at. Because, again, when you look at the, the return on investment that the checkoff um, is able to achieve, if we can keep uh, beef in the middle of the plate, if we can keep people trusting in and, and believing in beef and, and enjoying it, those are going to be the big challenges for the next 5, 10, and 15 years. Those comments coming from the incoming CEO of the Cattlemen's Beef Promotion and Research Board, Scott Stewart. Again, he will take the role officially February 1st of 2018. You can always find out more information about the Beef Checkoff by visiting mybeefcheckoff.com. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. And good afternoon as we take a look to this market trade. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Join us is John Payne, Senior Market Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. Merry Christmas and good afternoon, John. Hey, Merry Christmas to you guys. I hope everybody has a great week weekend. As we look at this market, kind of quieter. Of course, we saw the markets close early today in observance of the Christmas holiday. As you look at this quiet trade, what are your thoughts? Well, I'm really, my thoughts more turned to kind of the livestock reports that came up after the market. More confirmation of higher numbers on feed, and I think that's, uh, you know, something that uh, is, is going to be, I, I think, a feed and residual support system as we get into 2018. Uh, not only did we see higher numbers on feed, we saw better demand for livestock as well as the cold storage reports. So, you know, I, I kind of feel like talk to my clients about when they're selling grain, who they're selling it to, are the clients, are the end users making money? And uh, I think at this point on the grain side, we are definitely seeing all classes of end users making money here, which I think is a good sign for bottoming of price action and you know, good good price outlook into 2018. Uh, supply and markets will always be around, and given the demand that we have and prices where they are, I think that you know, grains really have only two directions to go, and that's either sideways or higher. Well, it was definitely nice to see the soybeans be able to break through all those consecutive lower closes to finish out today with some positive numbers. Yeah, and that's, I think it's real more of a function of two things. Delivery, which is approaching here at the end of the next week, and then the spreading. We've seen wheat and corn have decent weeks. I hate to call it a, a great week, but decent weeks. And then the, uh, you know, the, the soybeans have really taken on the chin here. We've seen the ratio really come back into line. New crop prices coming back to the point. Now where I'd say they're going to take a lot of corn acres, or, or corn is going to take a lot of acres from beans, but back to where producers might make a decision in areas where yields a factor. Uh, I think down the road, beans, offer a lot of promise. We just need to get through this next week. Delivery is not a good time to hold product. It's usually when the farmers put to a decision. And that's, uh, that decision's been fell lately. So we've seen a lot of weakness in all three classes of grains in the last low six months. Besides the livestock having an influence on the grains today, any other outside market influence that you saw? Oh, I guess a little bit the dollar might be might be something worth watching. I just think the overseas markets are are, uh, you know, poised to have a good year. And uh, I think given where we are and, and price action for the all through row crop grain, like I said, sideways is losing smallest. A lot of folks are, are essentially holding grain. But in the long run, I look for a good 2018. All right, sounds good. Well, Merry Christmas, John, and we'll we'll catch up with you next week. John Payne joining a senior market analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. If you notice, he is fading in and out, traveling by train this afternoon. So thanks for him joining us. That's a look to the grain side of today's market. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network.